0: Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, February 11th, and we have got a lot of ACC basketball talk to get to. Bracketology is taking shape. We've got a lot of uh, lot of big games around the ACC. If you haven't heard, we've got a new football league, the Alliance of American Football, and we've got a number of former ACC players in that, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Some news and notes around college football, Justin Fields' uh, decision to play immediately. How does that affect the ACC? And uh, a number of mailbag questions to get to. But first, Tim, what is happening?
1: Not a lot. You know, I woke up buzzing a little bit this morning. There was um, competitive football on the television yesterday, which I was not prepared to see. But of course, I watched. Um, And I don't want to steal our thunder for later in the podcast, but that certainly makes me fairly excited moving into today because the AAF will be playing again today so competitive football after the Super Bowl is always a good thing.
0: Yeah I had uh, completely forgotten about it to be honest until I was flipping through the channels and I saw that scrolling through the bottom line on ESPN I think and then I was like oh this is gonna actually be on television and then it's going to actually be on some pretty legit channels. I mean, it's on CBS, CBS Sportsline, TNT, NFL Network. It's going to be all over the place. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, yeah, let's first talk about some of the big ACC and college football news. You know, not really a lot happening around the ACC conference. We did just uh, recap the national signing day. So if you haven't checked that episode out, go back and listen. Um, We go through all of the uh, happenings around National Signing Day and how it uh, affected your ACC football team. But first, one of the uh, bigger transfers of the offseason, Justin Fields, uh, to Ohio State. And it was announced that he will be allowed to play immediately for the Ohio State Buckeyes. So, Tim, why is this big news?
1: Why is this big news, Justin?
0: Justin Fields typically would have to sit out a year. And, uh, you know, there there was some kind of uh, incident with one of the former Georgia football or baseball players, actually, where he used some kind of racial slur uh, towards or around Justin Fields. I'm not actually sure. And then um, basically Fields' lawyer cited that as being the reason that he decided to transfer. So it was more of the hardship waiver. And although, you know, he didn't transfer immediately after that happened, he played the rest of the football season. This happened back in september october range um that was the reason they cited so the NTA did grant it and i think it does set a precedent for the hardship waiver Um, because who were they to say that another situation of any kind it doesn't have to be racial related it can be anything um who are they to say that didn't affect a player so negatively that they needed to transfer the program so we'll uh We'll see how this kind of shapes out. I think um, I think we're seeing a lot of reform to the transfer rules across college football. I'm not sure how it's going to affect the Tate Martell situation. Completely different situation. But he left because citing um, uh, Urban Meyer leaving, so a coaching change. So I don't know what your immediate reaction was, but I was a little bit surprised Fields was allowed to play right away.
1: Well, I was surprised. I mean, and this is... <laughs> touchy subject when we talk about potential race issues um and those spurning transfers however there wasn't at least from what i knew a whole lot of evidence to support that so i think you run into the issue now that a precedence has been set to where if you are running into players that are maybe disgruntled maybe not getting along real well with the starting or the uh coaching staffs maybe didn't get the starting jobs to where they can now uh raise issues and say oh I transferred because of throw in whatever scenario you want to throw in um, and they get to transfer seemingly without penalty. Um, That seems like something that could potentially be abused and I hope it doesn't come to that. Um, However, you know, certainly if if there was something racial said to Justin Fields, then by all means, you know, I'm glad they let him transfer. It's just one of those issues where you could see something like this being taken advantage of in the future. And I, I hope that's not how this ends up turning out, but it's certainly how I feel this may end up. You know, we're looking 10 years down the road. We see this as kind of a starting of a snowball effect when transfers were already getting a little ridiculous in college football.
0: Yeah, it just, it goes back to defiant hardship for me because Justin Fields' sister actually committed to the University of Georgia after this incident, Right. Uh, to play track, or I think she's playing track and field or something along those lines. So, how devastating was that to you that you know your family still felt comfortable enough to send your sister to right. that school? I, I'll go out on a limb and say that if Justin Fields was the starting quarterback, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He'd be at Georgia still. Yeah, so, no question. Um, it's all about. You know, basically, it's turned into college football has been a business for a long time, but we're starting to see that finally transfer to the players. We're getting lawyers involved. Everybody's luring up when they're transferring now. So it's definitely a uh, dynamic that we haven't been used to over the last few years. So um, we'll see what happens. Still waiting on the news to drop for Tate Martell. Um, But uh, other than that, it's been pretty quiet across the college football landscape, minus the National Signing Day noise. One small note, or a couple, actually. Brock Hoffman uh, is transferring from Coastal Carolina to Virginia Tech. He was a former two-star recruit, uh, offensive line, six foot three, three 310 pounds, has had a pretty solid career with Coastal Carolina and uh, wants to come play for the Hokies. So he, he will be a nice addition to their interior offensive line yeah. unit. But uh, it's remained to be seen if he will have to sit out a year. He is citing the coaching change for the reason he's transferring, so there's a good chance he will have to sit out. Uh, to one other note, thought this was interesting: Ty and Jake Herbstreet, yeah. the sons of Kirk Herbstreet, will be joining Clemson as preferred walk-ons.
1: There you go. So uh, smart move by Dabo. Um, you know he is a bit of a media darling himself, but um, certainly has leveraged the media. Um, and And got in the favor of the media I and mean, Clemson's recent meteoric rise to the top of the college football landscape, and it looks like he's going to continue to do that and continue to leverage by getting one of uh college football's most famous media personalities uh you know having their children or his children specifically in the program, never a bad thing if you're looking for a more positive media coverage.
0: yeah, I always find that interesting how these kids that have famous parents just always seem to kind of eat their way onto, (laughs) you know, a famous program. So um, we'll leave it at that. Who knows? Maybe they can play. I don't know. Sure. Um, But uh, let's jump into the Alliance of American Football. Yes. It's, uh, I wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive here and kind of see what was happening. And um, like I said, I honestly forgotten that this was debuting this weekend until I was just kind of flipping and saw that. Oh, hey, there's going to be football on today. But uh, I'll tell you, I, I actually I watched um, a good portion of the San Antonio-San Diego game, and it wasn't terrible. So no. we didn't have the Orlando-Atlanta game on in our region. I'm assuming the East Coast probably did.
1: We got it. But
0: yep. uh, that seemed to be kind of a more fun offensive performance, at least to watch from Orlando's side of things, but one of the things that I find interesting with this league is, as far as I can tell, it's not affiliated with the NFL, but it's obviously got some backing from key NFL alumni, such as Bill Polian, Bill Charlie Ebersol, whose father, Dan Ebersol founded NFL Films, yep, sure um, thing. So it's it's got some backing there. It's obviously got some high-profile coaches. 80% of the players have played in the NFL before. And the one thing that I think is great from this standpoint is finally there's a developmental league for the NFL. And we haven't yes. really had that since NFL Europe went away. And if you look at it from all of the other major sports, you know the NFL is the only league that doesn't have anything – after college or in between to develop players so if you're not good enough to crack the roster you're either playing in like arena league which is not a route that most players are going to take and if they do go to the arena league it's not like that's a game that really translates to the nfl so it's not that helpful from a player standpoint but this is essentially nfl football with a few tweaks that we'll talk about here soon Um, and I think it's great that you've got players that, you know, weren't good enough to crack the NFL roster or stick onto a roster for too long, just based off of, you know, did they get the right look, uh, you know, typically when these guys are going into training camp and on practice squads, they're not really getting a lot of reps, you know, they're there just in case somebody goes down from, so from that standpoint, you know, it it gives these guys a chance to play, uh. I'm not sure if it's a higher level than college football yet. That remains to be seen. But I think it is a fairly high level because, like I said, 80% of these guys have played in the NFL. But uh, sure. I don't know what your thoughts of going down that path are, but I think from a developmental standpoint, it's it's definitely uh, a good thing for the sport.
1: I love it. And in, I love it from an aspect, like you mentioned, of what it does not only for us, as the consumer, we get football, uh, football that matters, you know, to what degree, who could really say, but we at least have competitive regular season football after the Super Bowl, which I'm, I'm not very picky. I mean, when, when you talk about, you know, football that's happening outside of your typical NFL season, I watch Canadian football all the time, whenever it's on. It's, I'll take whatever I can get to get my fix. I was watching this yesterday and the thing that stuck out to me most was the quality of the football that was being played and the talent of the player was so much higher than if you remember that XFL experiment that we had uh many years ago and i know the XFL is coming back but i was just so impressed and you had the uh you know the um I don't know what you want to call it, Uh, it, but it felt legit when you had CBS with their broadcast package there, with their broadcast teams. The same broadcast teams that do the NFL are now doing the AAF, at least for the opening weekend, and that added a legitimacy to it, which I thought was awesome. One thing I love, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of the rule changes and everything that you mentioned uh, in a little bit, but I love the idea of this being a developmental league where players can develop, practice squad players, players that didn't make the practice squad, who still want a shot at the NFL, can get out there and get decent coaching. I mean, if you look at the list of coaches, we're talking about ex NFL coaches, we're talking about you know famous college coaches, Steve Spurrier, uh, Mike Singletary, you know ex coach of the Bears and um, famous, absolutely famous uh, Hall of Famer. Uh, Rick Neuheisel, Dennis Erickson, Mike Mar- Mike Riley, Mike Martz. I mean, you, you've got a who's who of college football coaches, pro football coaches, already <laughs> coaching in this. So it's not like they're pulling coaches off the streets to come teach these guys. But you're also having these slight tweaks to the rule changes that if you're the NFL, I'm sure you're paying attention to like a hawk. You know, no kickoffs is one of them. Um, and I'll let you go into the details. There, there's rules around blitzes that's different. But you get all these things, and you don't have to try... Uh, to ruin things or to make things strange in the NFL to break in these rules, you can see how some of these things may play out and determine whether or not these are going to be good or bad additions to the NFL. So I love it from the player development aspect and the fact that I get to see some of these guys that I watched in college and I still get to see them play football, meaningful football. And two, I love it from the, uh, the evolution of the sport perspective which is, okay, they're trying some pretty cool stuff in this league that the NFL currently isn't doing, and I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out. The
0: thing I like most, the change I like most, is there's essentially a ninth official on the field, and they're calling it a sky judge. And this person can instantly correct officiating errors from the booth. So if he sees somebody make head-to-head contact, or if he sees a blatant pass interference... He's allowed to step in and change the call, which I think the NFL needs to add in by next season because, oh yeah, as we saw in the NFC Championship game, like some of these calls that aren't made obviously have huge effects on the on the outcome. Now, will this change a lot of calls on the field that you know might over the course of a game have a different effect? Sure, sure. But I uh, I think it's good. I think it makes a lot of sense. So from that standpoint, I think we can see how. You know, you can try different things in this league. Nobody's going to have a real issue with it because, you know, it's not the NFL. So you can kind of test it in this smaller scenario. Some of the other rule changes that I thought were interesting. No, and before we points. move on
1: there, I just want to touch on one yep. thing with that, the Sky Judge. I don't know how you felt about this, but I thought it was cool that they had the live audio from the Sky Judge making his determination on the ruling instead of just dead speculation from the booth during that time. We actually got to hear the guy talk through it and communicate with the official what he saw and why he decided to make the call. I thought that level of transparency and justification was neat to see.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, That'll never happen in the NFL. No, 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 but it was um, so cool. Right. Um, But that leads me to something else, one of my takeaways that we'll talk about. But some of the other rules, you know, no extra points uh, after touchdowns, yep. no field goal attempts allowed in overtime, uh, no kickoffs, no onside of kicks. If a team wants to try to retain possession after giving up a safety, they can try to convert a fourth and 12 from their own 28-yard line. So that's kind of <laughs> that's wild, interesting. Uh, so again, no onside kicks, but they do have something that's called an onside conversion. So if a team is trailing by 17 points or more inside of five minutes uh, remaining in the entire game, they must convert a fourth and 12 from their own 28. So kind of going back to that safety rule. So that's interesting. And then uh, they can't have more than five players rushing the quarterback on a passing attempt. And no defensive player may rush from a position of more than two yards outside of the widest offensive lineman or more than five yards from the line of scrimmage. So okay. definitely rules set up to favor the offense. I'm not sure why that's the case, but um, kind of an interesting, an interesting rule to throw in there. So uh, some of my takeaways from the league, you know, I don't know if you've d- dove deep into the rosters at all, but I kind of broke down the rosters. I've got like a Pivot table in Excel, I'm working off of because I wanted to see if something was true. So I've noticed that, you know, most of these teams are in the South, obviously. Right. And uh, because it's a winter league, so that makes a lot of sense. But you're seeing a lot of players from certain colleges on teams in their locale. So, for example, there's 10 Alabama players in this league, they're all on the Birmingham. Iron, Roll Tide. Okay, uh, a number of ACC players from basically Virginia down, up, basically from Virginia down to Tallahassee are on Atlanta. You right. know, there's a couple that are sprinkled throughout the other place. Number of Florida State players and Miami players on the Orlando squad. So I think that's good. You know, you're building up kind of a uh, rapport with your local fan bases because hey, you know, you've got big alumni bases in these territories. Um, It makes sense to kind of load up with players that they're familiar with, even though some of them aren't necessarily bigger names. Now, if you get up into the northern schools, you know, you're starting to see those players kind of sprinkled throughout the country. But, uh, you know, there are 43 former ACC players in this league. Um, Some of the notable players that I've seen, um, you know, not necessarily just the ACC but outside – Uh, Blake Sims and Trent Richardson, Mm -hmm. so Trent Richardson has not given up the dream, Um, he is still trying to fight to get back to the NFL, Aaron Murray, former Georgia quarterback on the Atlanta Legends, Uh, Christian Hackenberg, who was an unmitigated disaster in the NFL, (laughs) he is on the Memphis Express, and they specifically pointed out on the broadcast last night that, you know, he's picked a hitch in his delivery, so... We'll see how that plays out. I think they play yeah. on Sunday. Uh, yeah, Marquise do. Williams from North Carolina. He is on the San Antonio squad. He is not the starter there, but did come in on one of the two point conversion attempts. So there's some interesting players to watch. Uh, Michael Vick was actually supposed to be the offensive coordinator for Atlanta, but the team cut him this week because of broadcast obligations for Fox. So oh. that was unfortunate. That's a shame, and then you know a couple of other takeaways. I don't know how you felt about this, but you mentioned the audio they've they've got to work through the audio a little bit because they're trying to like give you an inside look at the huddle of the other team, but then it just cuts out <laughs> right. for long periods of time right, so that's a little clunky. One thing I love is they're wearing starter jerseys.
1: yes, oh yeah, did you catch that that was that was the first thing I noticed. I was like, what year is it?
0: Yeah, I mean you know the the design of the uniforms needs a little bit of work, I think. Uh I don't mind the helmet dated. so much. Yeah. But uh yeah, the fact that they're starter really kind of makes me happy. I honestly didn't even realize Starter was still around.
1: Yeah.
0: Um It made it using- made
1: me it made me want to purchase uh apparel for this league just solely on the fact that i would get to have a new t-shirt with some sort of starter logo on it which i think would be just fantastic
0: exactly uh they're using college officials i noticed that um so that is maybe good get these guys some more reps maybe they'll call it better games in college man, and man. uh i don't know how many people were at the orlando game but I was watching the game between San Diego and San Antonio, which was at the Alamo Dome. And basically, it looked like they closed off the upper deck. But the seats were basically, it looks like they were sold in the first two levels, but scattered. You know, it was not sold out in those two sections. Yeah. Well, there was an interception in the end zone. And it sounded like that place was about to explode. It was so loud in there. So That's clearly, so cool. clearly they were pumping in sound. I'm yeah. convinced. I'm well, convinced look. they were pumping in sound.
1: If you, if you don't have the atmosphere, manufacture it. I'm all about that. Um, I was watching, obviously, the Orlando games. That's what we got here in Raleigh. Um, they were playing in Spectrum Stadium, which holds about 45,000 people. And I want to say it was maybe one-fifth to one-sixth full. It was obviously a sparse crowd, Um, so obviously this is going to take some time to build. I mean, hell, I didn't even—I forgot it was even a thing until I was scanning through channels yesterday, Um, and it was actually a a hit on Twitter that I was, you know, scrolling through the timeline, and a quarterback just got absolutely demolished from his uh, from the side. Hit hit so hard, his helmet came unbuckled. Um, Yeah, and there was was no flag yeah, exactly. That's who it was. No flag. And I was like, "Well, no flag there. I better tune into this. This is all right. Football here.
0: Yeah. Well, Roger Goodell saw that and uh, put a warrant out for that guy's arrest. He did. did. In the NFL, that ain't going to float. No. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think overall a good debut, you know, from a marketing standpoint, like I don't know what these teams are thinking. Like if I'm anybody in san antonio or uh atlanta or or orlando i guess is where this game was held the other night if my tickets aren't sold out i am going and i've got a grounds crew and they are passing out free tickets and they are getting as many people into that place as i possibly can yeah you know that's that's hey you didn't sell the tickets okay Go and get people into the stands. You're going to make money off the concessions. You're going to try to build up the brand. You're going to make it look a little bit more impressive than it actually was on television. And I mean, what's what's the hurt in that? I mean, I hate seeing empty stadiums and just the fact that it sounded so loud in the Alamo (laughs) and I knew that there's no way it could have been that loud. Yeah. Just, you know. They're they're trying to play it up, but get people into the stands. You know, what I mean, along. I don't know I'm how waiting. much ticket prices are going for, but lower the ticket prices. I don't know, but I did see ratings this morning. It did yes. pull in two point nine million viewers, um, and it actually beat the NBA game that was on, which was two point five million. Yeah, uh, between the it, Thunder it and the Rockets, it beat the
1: national broadcast for the NBA on its opening salvo. America is starved for football. Always. Whenever football leaves America starve for more football. Even during football season, America starve for more football. The NFL needs to see and I hope they do see the opportunity they have here, both from a way to make money standpoint and a um, a way to obviously develop their own league from a rules and regulations standpoint. I hope that if, if this league does run into trouble, and I don't think it will based on who's actually behind this league, I think, especially with those ratings, I think they're going to do okay. But I hope the NFL can, can see that it's in their best interest if the, if this sort of developmental league exists in the United States. And I, I hope they do everything they can to foster it and grow it.
0: Well, it'll be interesting, too, with the XFL coming out next year. And, right. And, you know... Vince McMahon is the one behind that again. He said it's not going to be as gimmicky as it was the first time around, and obviously the first time around it did uh it did um collapse after a year. There were a couple of NFL players that uh came out of that such as He Hate Me, which uh yep. Rod Smart, I believe his name was. Yep. Rod Smart. Uh mm-hmm. for uh for the Carolina Panthers, but um hey, you know, it's uh They've got a couple of big names coming in there. Mike Stoops is going to be the Dallas coach. We've got to wait another year to see the XFL come to life. But just seeing how the NFL embraces these leagues, I think the NFL is much more likely to embrace the Alliance of American Football than they will be the XFL. No question. um, No
1: question. And that's kind of why I didn't even mention the XFL, because the Alliance, you could see them being buddy-buddy with the NFL, getting along the XFL is going to go out wholesale and try to, at least what I'm thinking, bring back 90s-era football. Um, they're just going to spit in the face of the NFL at every turn they get. So I couldn't see that being one that the league could embrace. I do see a genuine opportunity here for both the Alliance and the NFL to certainly cooperate um, and maybe even go into partnership together because this has potential. It really does. Um and hopefully, it's something that you know the NFL and, and the alliance can work together and continue to give us a good product during uh, football's offseason. That would be really cool.
0: Yep. So it's a ten week season. It's going to run until April. So uh, definitely be interested in watching what the ra- or the uh, what the ratings do from now until then, because obviously mm-hmm. you expect a spike in the beginning, but. Again, I forgot it was on. So I haven't seen a ton of advertising for it. So maybe next week we'll see a, a spike in ratings or maybe even today. So um, that being said, we'll watch it. We'll see what happens. We'll track some of the ACC participants and uh, we'll go from there. But let's jump into some ACC basketball. And I'm sure you noticed, but the Duke UVA game was on yesterday and uh, oh, Braun yeah. Braun was in attendance. LeBron, Braun so, and Rajon John. Yeah. Well. So Rajan So my thing with LeBron is his buddy and agent, Rich Paul, who owns the clutch sports group, which is essentially an agency to hire players to represent them. You know, LeBron has a stake in that company. So if he is talking to college players, wouldn't that be considered tampering?
1: It would. It should.
0: Okay. I just I wanted to uh, make sure that I understood what tampering meant and what violating NCAA rules were, but yeah. glad we're on the same page. Well, it seems I mean, like as LeBron we know, the NCAA only
1: selectively enforces its rules anyway. So is anything going to happen? No. Should it happen by the law, uh, the letter of the law that the NCAA has written? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, well. You know, LeBron can basically make his own rules, which I think we've seen over the last few weeks. But um, a good game in Charlottesville. You know, Duke continues to roll. They pretty much kept a safe distance from UVA, despite a few runs the UVA made, but uh, felt like they had the game in control most of the way. Um, Duke really excelled from three in this game, which yes. has been by far their biggest issue as a team. They went 13 of 21 from three. R.J. Barrett led the way at 26.7 boards. Zion had one of the most insane blocks you'll ever see. I think he probably jumped like 65 inches in the air and then threw the ball into like the second deck. It was an insane dunk, or a block, I should say. Um, and then, you know, they got some good good performances from Cam Reddish and Trey Jones. Um, UVA struggled against uh, a larger team. It's kind of a trend we're starting to see. Virginia just hasn't looked very good over the last couple of weeks, and they had a week to prepare for this game. They didn't play anybody else earlier in the week, and now they've got North Carolina coming up. So a really tough stretch for UVA, Um, and you know, we'll talk about UNC in a second, but it looks like it's Duke and UNC in the ACC this year. Mm -hmm. Virginia is a close third, could maybe come out of it. We'll see what happens in that North Carolina game, but... What was your reaction to this one?
1: Yeah, uh, some nights, now, don't get me wrong, UVA definitely didn't play great. Um, that really doesn't need to be said. They lost by 10. Uh, that's that's pretty obvious from the, the final line there. Um, but some nights, teams are just going to beat you no matter what you do. Um, Any time that Duke is going to shoot above 50% this year from the three-point line, they're going to win. There are 30% shooting the, they're they're one of the worst shooting teams in the nation. They're at 30% from 3. Um I believe that puts them somewhere in the mid 200s out of, you know, 300 or so uh Division 1 teams there. Um if you're going to get around 50-60% from 3 from Duke, you're going to lose. And it's unfortunate that one of those nights had to be when Virginia also didn't play great. Um but th- there's just no beating Duke when they're going to shoot like that. And I know you mentioned, to me, the, the most standout play that I can remember was that block three-pointer by Zion Williamson. That that guy is so explosive. For someone of that size, It, it it's just mind-blowing to see him move the way that he does. I mean, his hand it was well above the rim when he was blocking that three-pointer. And he, and he was doing it on a full sprint to get out on the three-point line because the shot the Virginia player was taking was wide open. And he somehow closed that gap, jumped, and hit that ball out of midair. It looked like a volleyball spike. Um, Insane play. But you see see a guy that size, and you see that explosiveness, and you're like, man, what I would give to just see you play tight end just once.
0: Yeah, so Duke uh, closes out the week. You know, they had uh, destroyed Boston College earlier in the week. They continue to be the class of the ACC. They've got Louisville and NC State coming up, so a couple of big games um, this week for them. And then, as we mentioned, UVA's got North Carolina, big game on Monday night. Uh, And that takes us to North Carolina, Tim. Uh, They survived an almost unthinkable loss. And if it's not for a Luke May 3 to tie the game late in the second half, Miami's going to win that game.
1: Oh, yeah oh yeah it, it, my, it's just crazy to think that they would struggle with a team like Miami but then again in the Dean Dome you don't expect anything like this to happen and it did that's the ACC for you um, Miami played incredibly strong uh, UNC's defense was incredibly porous uh, but yeah the, they were able to hold on and you know they had looked so good before this is this the sign of North Carolina getting a little shaky uh I don't expect the wheels to fall off, but certainly they they looked vulnerable again. Um and yeah, just really surprising to see that.
0: Yeah, again, just a tough team to read. I mean they've they've been hot. Um uh, this is the first time they've started nine and one under Rory Williams in the ACC since he's been there, since his sixteen years at right. in uh Chapel Hill. Uh they got a nice performance out of Colby White off the bench with uh thirty three points and sure did. Um it's just it's a young team it's cliche to say but it felt like they were probably looking ahead to the uva game a little bit
1: agreed um
0: maybe they just weren't as focused as they should have been but nonetheless they did survive which is the important thing here uh so we'll all be uh turning our attention to monday night against against virginia which is in chapel hill
1: yeah and Uh, shout shout out to chris likes from miami i know i've mentioned him before But if you get a chance to watch Miami play basketball, look out for Chris Likes. He is a dynamite athlete, one of the fastest players I've ever seen in the ACC. Um, Had a great game, twenty-seven points against UNC. But just tune in to watch Chris Likes if you're looking for something to do. Chris Likes just a dynamite player, and yeah, Colby White has been huge for UNC lately.
0: Uh, So next up, we have a struggling hockey squad. You know, we uh, we highlighted their loss to Louisville. Uh, Monday night when we had our uh, one of our podcasts last week, but this team just cannot score without Justin Robinson and uh, Wabisa Beide, who is filling in for Robinson, has been absolutely abysmal offensively. He goes zero for seven from the floor against Clemson. The Hokies only had two guys play off the bench, which was two freshmen, Isaiah Wilkins and Jonathan Kabongo, who combined for twenty minutes of play and three points. The Hokies are down. Chris Clark, Landers Nolley, P.J. Horn, and Justin Robinson for the foreseeable future. We don't know when he's coming back. Um, I'm not hitting the panic button yet on the Hokies, Tim, but it's on the table, and I'm preparing to press down because this team just cannot get the get get rolling on offense, and it's it's really frustrating to watch. It's uh, that was a tough game to watch yesterday, just from an offensive standpoint. I mean, really static. Bunch of guys standing around, couldn't really force the ball inside. Kerry Blackshear missed a good portion of the first half because of foul trouble, and when he's off the floor, you don't have a Robinson running point. Nikhil Alexander-Walker wasn't playing particularly well. You know, it's uh, it's bad news for the Hokies.
1: It's grim. It's grim. And Justin did so much for that team. It's, it's It was painfully obvious to anyone that watched the Hokies play It was obvious that if the Hokies lost someone to injury, it was going to be bad no matter who it was. But the last person you'd want to see injured would be Justin Robinson, and it is showing it is a struggle. Watching Virginia Tech play offensive basketball is painful. Wabisa Bede can't set up anything for himself, which is what separates... Justin from Bede is that Bede can't get his own offense going, which the defense then has no reason to respect anything he's doing on the ball because he's not going to be able to bite them in the butt if they uh, play off of him a little bit. So they're able to focus on the other four players on the court when Wabesa is playing uh, point guard. Now Wabessa has he does play good on ball defense and he's you know he's athletic and he's a grinder, but he's nowhere in the the stratosphere of what Justin Robinson is that's hurting us. It's almost to a point uh, where the Hokies need to look toward maybe getting another primary ball handler involved. Um, Bede's not really cutting it. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is second on the team in assists. Um, He's right around the same turnovers per game that Justin Robinson was at, and he's a decent enough ball handler. I realize that having Nikhil Alexander Walker ball handling for you means that you're going to change the way his offensive game is played. No more catch and shoot, which he's so good at, um, or limited catch and shoot. But it's time now to try and shake this up because the the Bede experiment, and I call it an experiment. It's not. He's the backup point guard. It's naturally who you would go to. But it's not working out, and and something needs to be changed uh, because this team is, as you said, the panic button is on the table, and I am... I am side-eyeing it to say the least.
0: Well, that leads us to one of our mailbag questions, Tim, from uh Joel first off mailbag sponsored by com. Go there, drop <laughs> your note, and uh we will we will follow up. Uh but Joel out of Danville, Virginia, is there anyone else Virginia Tech can turn to for some offensive production out of the point guard position besides Bede? And the question is pretty much no. I think uh, you've highlighted a little bit they need to figure out how to run the offense through somebody else. And the guy who fits the bill is Walker. But, uh, you know, they I think they did try that a couple of times yesterday. And he just they doesn't did. look super comfortable doing it.
1: No. Um, no it looks but, disjointed.
0: Yeah, something's something's got to change. There's just... Like we said, there's a lack of depth this year because of everything that the Hokies have had to endure from an injury standpoint, from an NCAA eligibility standpoint, um, from off-the-field or off-the-court issues, I should say, with Chris Clark, so um, we'll see what happens, and you know, not taking anything away from Clemson, they played a strong game, they've now won four in a row in the ACC, defensively, the Tigers have been lights out over the last three games, yes. and... You know, senior forward Elijah Thomas had seven blocks in this game. Clemson had 12 blocks total compared to just one for the Hokies. Shelton Mitchell had a dominant first half and Mm -hmm. uh, finished the game with 22 points, five for nine from three. Clemson is definitely still alive in the tournament, and we do have another question in our mailbag, Tim, from Bailey out of Spartanburg, South Carolina. What does Clemson have to do in order to make the NCAA tournament? So, Clemson's a team that is still alive. Coming into this game, they were in Joe Lenardi's next four out. So, probably in that 68 to 72 range, I'm guessing. Um, But, hey, this was a big win for them. You'd have to think Virginia Tech won't be as impressive of a win today or in a few weeks as it was today, I should say. Right. Um, but it's still going to be a good win. Uh, they do have a couple of big games coming up. Obviously, they had that crushing buzzer beater against uh, NC State, but they're on the road to Miami this week, have to win that one. They, they're they on the road to Louisville. That would be an impressive win. Then they host Florida State. So they've got some big games coming up. Um, they also have UNC and Syracuse to close out the year. But they've got teams like Boston College, Pitt, Notre Dame, Miami that are must-wins. So if they win those four games, those four must-wins, that gets them to 19-8. and eight. And then if you sprinkle in a win or two against like a Louisville or a Florida State, I think Clemson could sneak in. They might have to win a game or two in the ACC tournament, but I think there is a realistic shot that they get in and maybe a team, Tim, like NC State, falls out if they don't turn it around here pretty quickly
1: and that's where so right now if the season were to end nc state would be in above clemson 10 times out of 10 and the problem is clemson has beaten no one this year outside of virginia tech uh, whether you're talking off season or in the conference in conference their acc wins outside of virginia tech which is a good win albeit not an 11th ranked team win um, you have Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, and Georgia Tech again. So they have four wins against the absolute bottom of the bottom in the ACC. Um, what does Clemson have to do? Well, they've got to get more than one RPI top 50 win. then um, I know they don't use the RPI. They use the net rankings now. Either way, they're going to need another win, uh, more than likely two if they want to get in. So you see what's left on the schedule. You see Florida State looming, Louisville looming, North Carolina looming. They're going to need two out of those three if they want to get in. Um, If they get one of those three, they're going to need a win or two in the ACC tournament. Their problem is they've got no good wins, none. Um, They've got nothing even remotely good in the offseason. And the teams that they did play in the offseason that were strong, they they were trounced by. So um, kind of unfortunate for them. Clemson is not a paper tiger right now. Um, They are a team that looks good because they're sitting at 500 in the ACC, but when you dig into their record, Clemson hasn't done anything besides beat a Virginia Tech team without Justin Robinson, which um, unfortunately for the Hokies isn't saying a whole lot, and unfortunately for Clemson isn't saying a whole lot. So what do they need to do? They just need to win against the good teams they have left on the schedule because there aren't many options left. Um, They have three chances. If they go 0-3, they're out of the tournament, even if they win out. So uh, that's going to be a problem for them. Now, if they can get one of those wins, two of those wins, I think they're in solidly. Uh, one win and maybe a win or two in the ACC tournament gets them in. So um, yeah, that, that's at least what I think looking at it. I don't know if you think the same thing, but I was, I was surprised to see, given how they looked on paper, how really poor they are when you dig into who they've actually played.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with everything you're saying. And they cannot slip up against any of the unranked teams remaining. No. If they no, lose, no. they're they're done.
1: Yeah, um, agreed.
0: But if agreed. they if they knock off like a North Carolina or if they knock off a Louisville and sure. they lose the other two against the top 25 teams remaining, then eh, maybe. You know, Florida State is ascending. Uh, they're going to be a higher-ranked team, probably top 15 by the time they play. So it's a wait and see. There's a lot of things that can happen um, if they – knock off a few of those teams. I think there's a realistic shot they get in. But yeah, uh, that takes us to our, our next game to highlight um, Louisville at Florida State. And the Seminoles really fought back in this one, forced overtime, get their fifth straight win. Um, they made 11 of 12 free throws in overtime to kind of help them uh, stay ahead of Louisville after only making 16-24 in regulation. Ben have been Mifundu, Kapingale, I guess I say his name. I can never That's, say his name yeah. correctly. That seems right. He had to me. uh, he had 22 off the bench, uh, for FSU, and uh, the big thing for FSU in this game was defense. 11 steals forced 23 Louisville turnovers. Uh, big win for Florida State, and uh, yeah, we're we're gonna start seeing Florida State kind of uh, move up in the conference, kind of yeah. where we expected them to be after a strong. Out of conference performance.
1: Yeah, and Florida State's the exact opposite of Clemson, right? Record-wise in the conference, they're almost the same. Florida State at six and four, Clemson at five and five. But if you look, they've got that obviously that great win against Louisville. Um, you know they've beat up on some teams lower uh, in the ACC, but they do have a pretty strong win over Clemson. But you look at what they have that Clemson doesn't have. They have wins over Purdue um, in the offseason. They also beat ranked LSU. In the off season. So Florida state, one of those teams that is not only looking very in right now, they're looking like their seeding seating may be pretty favorable. If they keep up uh, the pace, they're going
0: Louisville's got a tough week coming up. They host Duke on Tuesday and then Clemson on Saturday. So, um, I expect them to go one and one in that stretch FSU hosts wake and is that Georgia tech this week? Uh, so they could easily extend that winning streak to seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to highlight, NC State snaps their three-game skid against Pitt, Jeez. but it was not easy. Not pretty. Uh, they only won by three. A couple of free throws, there late by C.J. Bryce. And uh, I think one of the things that is positive for NC State is they've averaged 87.5 points per game since the 24-point game against Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, But Pitt remains a tough team at home. I think that's a better win than it looks like on paper for NC State.
1: I think so, too. And so NC State has some pretty good wins this year um obviously really anchored by beating auburn there in uh in the non-conference schedule um so if they can stay at or above 500 i think you're looking at a team that's going to make the ncaa without too much of a struggle but i'm not so sure that 500 in the acc is going to be easy for nc state to maintain this year um They've looked so disjointed. Thankfully, Markel Johnson is, is back to playing consistently, and, and he's back from injury. However, something about that team just seems off, and I, I don't know what it is, compared to they where they were earlier in the year. Can they figure that out? Sure. If, if they end up you know, at 500 or above, I think they're an easy NCAA tournament team. Um, but NC State is really going to have to buckle down with what they've got coming up. Um, like Duke coming up uh, on Saturday for NC State, gives NC State a great chance to really lock in another top-tier team, uh, a win. And NC State and Duke, you you never really know. Those two teams go at it pretty hard. And and with the rivalry factor, who knows how that one ends up. But NC State's one of the most Jekyll and Hyde teams I can remember in a long time.
0: NC State really needs to beat Syracuse this week. Agreed. And that will have me feeling much better about their chances. Syracuse is a team, uh, you know, they're sitting around fourth in the ACC standings right now. Uh, they're coming off a week where they got absolutely demolished by Florida State, uh, rebounded with the win against uh Boston College, who's obviously not very good this year. But sure. uh yeah, NC State needs to beat Syracuse. Uh that would uh that would give them a little bit of momentum heading into the Duke game. I don't think anybody's expecting them to beat Duke, but I think that you know the way that we're looking at college basketball teams these days is there's a new kind of ranking system. So if you win or if you lose, let's say you lose by less than 10, it's considered to be a better loss, and it actually helps your seeding or your chances of seeding in the tournament. So there's actually a thing is a good loss these days with the quadrants and everything like that that's that's playing in so if NC State can keep it close with Duke then and beat Syracuse I think that'll be a pretty good week for the Wolfpack
1: agreed yeah I think I think you nailed it with that Syracuse call um, State is is in bad need of, of one of those wins they have to take one of Duke or Syracuse They can't lose both. If if NC State is faced with losing both of those games, they will be three games under 500 in the ACC, and I think that is a huge hole to climb out of. Um, If they can stave off the bleeding a little bit and get one of those wins, they have BC and Wake back-to-back, which should provide two wins, which should bolster that record enough. And if they can couple that with a win over Syracuse or a win over Duke, one or the other, uh, they'll be right back at 500, and I think they'll be there to stay for the rest of the year. Um, But yeah, you can't understate really how important that Syracuse game is.
0: Yeah, so if we take a look at the ACC standings right now, there's basically eight teams with 17 wins or more, and then you've got Clemson, who's kind of in no man's land. They've got 15, uh, so they're not really in that upper echelon of ACC teams right now, but they're not in the lower tier either, because you have a significant drop-off after Clemson. So, You know, we've got Duke, UNC, Virginia, Louisville, Syracuse to round out the top five. Then you've got Virginia Tech, Florida State, Clemson, NC State um, to go seven or six through nine. So I think what we're going to see here, you know, like we said, big week for Virginia Tech with some of the lower tier opponents in the ACC. They need to figure out how to get back on track offensively. They cannot afford to lose either one of those games against Georgia Tech or Pitt. Nope. Uh, Syracuse, NC State, uh, a big matchup. And then, um, you know, Duke, uh, Duke, NC State later in the week. Then we've got North Carolina, Virginia on Monday night. So a number of big games. We're really starting to see the ACC take shape. I don't think anything's really too surprising to us right now. Obviously, Virginia Tech is the team that we're so- starting to see fade a little bit. But it's just because of that injury. I think if Justin Robinson's there, we're talking about a a team in Virginia Tech that's probably in the top four of the conference right now. Easy. Um, Easy. So if he can get back, that'll be big.
1: Yeah, it'll be big. And luckily, I think you know, I don't think Virginia Tech's in danger of missing out on the NCAA tournament. But luckily, with player injuries of this magnitude, um, the selection committee typically keeps that in mind when they're making their decisions um with justin robinson virginia tech is a, a a fringe top 10 ncaa team um and definitely a top four acc team so you know hopefully uh justin robinson is back sooner rather than later
0: yeah and so that takes us to a little bracketology update as we are quickly approaching march and uh we're not going to go through what the seedings were because it's been kind of jacked up after this weekend we've had three of the four or three teams in the ACC that were in the top four seedings lose this weekend so everything we'd say to you about that is out of date but I think we've got some locks for sure you've got UVA Duke North Carolina then you've got your next tier of should be in Mm -hmm. and you got Louisville Virginia Tech Florida State Syracuse I'd put Syracuse in the should be in right now, but could easily end up in the work-to-do section a little bit later. Um, You've got NC State in the work-to-do section. Right. And then Clemson is kind of towards the latter part of that section, maybe on the outside looking in. So, um nothing too surprising there. I think right now you're looking at Virginia and Duke as a one seed. UNC is a two seed. UNC Virginia could easily flop that after Monday night.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then... uh I'd say Louisville is probably in the five seed range at this point. I think Virginia Tech is probably gonna wind up around seven to nine, depending on when Robinson can come back, if he can come back. And then I wouldn't be surprised to see Florida State in that five to six range. Right. Syracuse, I'm guessing, will probably be closer to ten, and NC State probably in that ten to eleven range.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I I definitely agree with all of that. Um, you know, still a lot left as far as seeding goes to potentially jumble that up. But as far as where we stand now, that's that's a perfect rundown.
0: So that is uh, that is it for ACC basketball this week, Tim. We did miss one of our mailbag questions, so let's oh. come back to it. Uh, we've got Dale in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, he wants to know who do you think has the early go ahead in the NC State quarterback competition
1: ah well right up my alley I guess um that's an interesting competition so as you know you've got uh Devin Leary who's currently there um you've got uh Bailey Hockman who is a transfer from Florida State now the interesting thing about Bailey Hockman is recently NC State just did a little reordering of the roster a couple position changes and all of the incoming players got their numbers uh, assigned to them So the number that Bailey Hockman chose to go with was number 16, which seems harmless enough, but if you know anything about NC State, you know recently number 16 was worn and quote-unquote retired by NC State because that is the number that Russell Wilson wore. Um, Highly prolific uh, NC State quarterback before he went on to Wisconsin, Um, thanks Tom O'Brien, and uh, went from Wisconsin to the NFL with the Seahawks and won a few Super Bowls, so Bailey took the number 16. When NC State does retiring numbers now, instead of you know making it so that you can't actually wear the number, you just get the patch with the former player's name, um, and that is how they typically do uh, their, their retired numbers. I think it's kind of a cool way to do it because guys like Bradley Chubb, who would normally have a number retired, just have the jersey uh, number with the patch on it. Um, you've got Bailey Hockman, who was a four-star recruit, who left Florida State um, last year when DeAndre Francois and Blackman were the one and two quarterbacks. Uh, he was unhappy with where he was in that quarterback situation, so he decided to leave, um, which was you know good enough for him. If you look at the other guys, uh, Devin Leary, another four-star quarterback, Elite 11 quarterback, was the front runner for the job um, before uh, Bailey Hockman got there. You've got a guy who's going to be a junior next year, redshirt junior, Matthew McKay, who is a dual-threat quarterback. Um, Hasn't seen any playing time, but has been the practice team player of the year a couple years running. Um, He certainly has a shout. And then you are going to uh, look at Ty Evans, too, a a true freshman, borderline four-star quarterback from Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, to round out that competition. Right now, to me, I think the clubhouse leader is Bailey Hockman, um, not only because he took that sixteen, and that tells me he 's got a little bit of confidence because there is a, you know a legacy attached to that number, but also because he seems like the type of quarterback that would fit perfectly um, in nc state 's current offense, which is you know some short to intermediate passing um, built to get the wide receivers the ball in space um, it doesn 't seem that he 's got one of those cannon arms that quarterbacks can have throwing seventy yards down the field. But his accuracy seems to be uh, one of his strong points, and he's able to make plays on the ground. Um, right now, given his pedigree coming from a football program like Florida State, um, I'm going to go ahead and give Bailey the nod. Uh, he's going to come in as one of the more experienced guys. Uh, and some of the older guys, not Devin Leary or Ty Evans, who are both younger, um, and Matthew McKay, who's not really had a lot of game time. Uh, But Bailey, to me, is going to get the edge. That is going to be a fun competition to watch because I think NC State next year will be a team, if they can get good to great quarterback play, which I know is asking a lot for a first year player, um, you could easily see them ending the year in the top 25. That's going to be a very, very talented team um, outside of the quarterback position. So the quarterback's going to have a lot of weapons to work with in an offense that has been quite prolific in the recent years.
0: Yeah, it's just, uh, man, it's getting me worked up thinking about starting quarterbacks already. You know, it's it's making me feel like it's closer to football season than it actually is. But, you know, we do have have spring practices coming up soon. So we will definitely be touching base on uh, each team around the ACC and uh, what's going on with spring. But that is our show for today. Uh, We are Chowder and Grits. Again, chowderandgrits.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Chowder and You can listen to our podcast in a variety of ways, uh, Spotify, Google Play Store, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. We don't ask for much from our listeners, but we do ask that you please rate us. Uh, Tim, would you like to go through how they can do that?
1: Yeah, the rating scale um, typically we operate under runs from four to five stars. If you love us, go ahead and give us that five star. If you love us but think we have something to improve on, go ahead and rate us four. One through three are not really star ratings that you want to use, nor are they applicable to our program. So we just ask that you overlook those. And please rate us on all the uh, podcast services that you use. It helps us out. Um, And if you guys have time When you're listening to this and you're getting off work or going to work, check out some uh, Alliance of American football highlights. See what you think. And, um, yeah, I think it's something we'll sprinkle into our coverage uh, as we move through the dry months of football, you know, and as we move through February, March, and April. Um, Other than that, we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of the, the week, have a productive work week, and as usual, we leave you with a go ACC. Justin, is there anything you wanted to
0: add? Uh. You know no other than happy Valentine's Day. You all are our Valentines.